So Acts chapter 9, and I'll read verses 8 and 9 just to kind of give you an idea where we left off. It says, Then Saul arose from the ground. Now he's on his way to Damascus to um, arrest Christians. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So Paul, Saul was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, and the Lord appears to him and tells him, hey, you know, tells him who he is. Saul says, you know, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Tells him to go to Jerusalem, I mean to go to Damascus, and he would um, let him know what's going on. So um, last week <laughs> we left Saul of Tarsus, um, a brilliant young man, still sitting in the dark, right? Sitting in Damascus at Judas' house, um, waiting on the Lord. And I ended last week with um, like a prayer, and I want to, you know, something that I, I kind of recommended, like the mindset or the heart of how we should pray. And I, I want to read that again, just to kind of get you guys thinking a little bit. Uh, Because this is the mindset that we really need to have when we serve the Lord and we want to hear from God. Um, You know, we want an intimate relationship with him. It's, you know, God, I only want to hear your voice. I'm hanging on every word because when you speak, when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes me. It changes what I see. And guys, most importantly, it changes what we seek. So important. And, you know, Saul, his whole life is going to be turned upside down. What he was seeking, now that he's seen the Lord clearly, he's going to be seeking something different, right? God's got a call on his life. So think about it. If you're Saul of Tarsus, you hate this Christian movement, you're going to do whatever you can do to stop it. Um, the Lord uh, knocks him off his horse or his mule, whatever he was on, or... And gets his attention, and now he's sitting in the house of Judas, uh, blind. And think of what's going through his mind. All all this time, all these years, waiting for the Messiah. Doing everything that he could to follow every little letter of the law. Only to find out that in his zeal, he's been persecuting his Messiah. You know, Jesus, wow. You know, so he's not only sitting in the dark, he's sorting this stuff out, you know, in his mind and in his heart. How he missed it. How he missed it. And I I think we've all been there, right? You know, I'm going to share this just because I think it fits for me. But, you know, I'm I'm really not um, a big fan of my old life. But, um, you know, there was a time... um, you know, when I was really uh, conflicted, and you know, I was uh, I had overdosed a few times, and you know, back in the seventies, the early seventies, uh, there was no opioid crisis. We were just drug addicts, right? You know, there was no no sympathy for us then. But anyway, um, I don't want to digress or regress. Um, I had overdosed for the third time, and I. Uh, I woke up uh, with the priest giving me my last rites. Tube, uh, tube down my throat. Everywhere they could put a tube, I had a tube. 
And, um, you know, it was just a weird experience. But, you know, what was even more weird is they um, just ro- pushed me into a room and left me in this room, this dark room. And all I could do, being the good Catholic, well, bad Catholic I was, I just cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, is this... This is my, this is the existence. This is my life. And just meditated and thought about, you know, what was going on? You know, God, you know, are you disappointed in me? You know, did you draw a line through my name? And, you know, all along, God was saying, no, I love you. I love you. And, you know, it wasn't too long after that that a couple knocked on my door and I gave my heart to the Lord. You know, so Saul is sitting conflicted. Right? Conflicted. And we've all been there, right? Conflicted. Maybe it was when you got saved. Maybe it's that, that time that it's just etched in your mind that you just can't forget. What life was like before you gave your heart to the Lord. And I really believe that Saul, this is what Saul's doing. And it's like, you know, what, what's going to happen now? He has no idea. He just knows that, that, that Jesus said, you know, go to Damascus and I'll tell you, what, you know, what's going to happen next. So, um, just something to think about. Something to think about. So back, all right, back to Acts, uh, back to Acts nine and verse uh, verses ten through twelve. It says, "Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord.' So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas." For one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. In Acts 22, verse 12, Luke tells us that um, Ananias was a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt um, in Damascus. So Ananias is a disciple. And it's interesting, notice that um, the Lord doesn't send one of the apostles to minister to Paul. He sends a layman. He sends a disciple uh, from the local church there in Damascus. And, you know, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, You know, and I I really like Ananias' response, too. When, you know, the Lord calls his name, he says, well, here I am, Lord. Like, he's excited and ready to go. So he's a layman. One of the guys from the church, and he's going to, I mean, just think, who would have who thought that, you know, God would just use anybody, right, to go minister to Saul? And, um, you, know, we're, um, you know, we're anybody's, right? Are you an anybody? You don't know? Are you an No, you are. You know, we're just, we're somebody that God wants to use. And really, don't sell yourself short. God, God wants to use you. He wants to do... Um, some great things through your life. We just have to be available for that. I mean, I'm sure, well, we're going to see as Ananias, as this breaks down for him, I mean, it's going to just be like, wow. You know, first it's going to be a little um, frightening, but then um, as we get to, you know, verse 17, it's really going to be an exciting time for Saul and for Ananias and the church. So Ananias is just like one of us. And God's going to use them to, uh, to pray for Saul. So in verses 13 through 16, it says, Then Ananias answered, he's going to give the Lord some information. 
Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before, before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. So, in essence, really what Ananias is saying to the Lord, not him, Lord, it's impossible. How could, you know, he could never become a Christian. You know, just thinking, you know, this guy is coming to arrest us. You know, I can't believe that he could become a Christian. And, you know, I was thinking about that. The church in Damascus, they know that Paul is, Saul is coming to Damascus to arrest them. So if it was a church like this, they would be praying for him, right? They're probably praying for Saul that he gets saved. You know, come on, God, you know, you can do anything, right? Save him. They're excited about it. You know, protect us, do something, intervene, right? So that reminded me of Acts chapter 12. If you guys remember, Peter gets arrested, he's in prison, and the church is praying for Peter to get delivered from prison, right? So the Lord answers their prayer, Peter gets delivered, and now he's at the house where the prayer meeting is, and he's knocking on the door, you know, hey, you know, let me in, you know, and they, who's at the door? Go see. And so Rhoda goes, and she, she hears it and realizes it's Peter, so she runs back, and she tells the prayer group that, hey, it's Peter. And they're like, oh, no, it can't be Peter. You know, he's in prison. You know, but they're praying for him, and there he is, right? And it's, it sounds like what's happening here in Acts chapter 9. And you know, Saul could never get saved. <laughs> well, you know, and it sounds like a lot like us, right? Oh, that guy, he, he could never get saved. You know, we're praying for him, but no, you know, he's, you know, he's gone, man. He's like, he's over the edge. He's he never, the Lord could never save him, right? But that does happen, right? Anybody here pray for somebody that you thought never would get saved and they got saved? Sure you'd have, right? All right, well, you guys can agree, you know, say something, yeah, I did, yeah, you know. All right, there you go. But it's just, um, it's, it's just interesting, you know, and even in, with Ananias' doubt, he still was obedient when the Lord told him to go, All right? He was still obedient, um, you know, despite his doubts, his, the uncertainty of the situation, Ananias obeyed God and ministered to Saul, and guys, you know, we need to not limit God in any way, right? We need to pray, obey, and follow God's leading, even when he leads us to difficult people in difficult places. So if you, do you have a Saul? If you have a, a Saul in your life that you're praying for, don't give up. Don't give up. It doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't matter what it looks like right now. Just keep praying. Because God is going to work. God is going to work. So in verses 15 and 16, God states two reasons for calling Saul. He was a chosen vessel for two reasons or for two things. To bear his name and suffer for his namesake. And I know we don't like that word suffer, but we're going to look at it a little bit in a a minute. 
Um, you know, and of course, these, um, you know, these reasons apply to us today, right? We're chosen to bear the name of Jesus Christ and to suffer for his namesake. Is that okay with you guys? That's right. That's, that's good, right? I mean, the suffering's a little iffy, but, right, it's, it's worth it, though, right? It's worth it. So the first thing is to bear the name of Jesus. Saul is to bear um, the name of Jesus before three groups of people, Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Okay, the Gentiles are first on the list because Paul is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, then the kings, and of course, if you have already read through the book of Acts and you know a bit more about Paul's life, um, he did just that, shared the gospel to, you know, with kings and two kings, and um, that could have included Nero himself, and then to the nation of Israel. So Paul, you know, his habit was to go into a city, he'd begin with the Jewish synagogue, and then he would use that as a springboard into the community and to minister to the Gentiles, but he would always go to the Jew first. And I have next to this part of my note just food for thought, because this is something that just came to my mind. I'm going to throw it out there for you guys, and you can um, do with it what you want. You can look into it a little later. But think about it. God told Ananias that Paul's ministry was to the Gentile first, secondly to kings, and lastly to the people of Israel. However, Paul would keep trying to minister to the Jew first, and in doing that, he would found, you know, he got frustrated in the process. Okay, so could it be the reason that we get frustrated at times in serving the Lord is because we've tweaked his plan just a little bit. And, you know, something to think about. You know, of course, Paul's ministry was, I mean, God's hand was all over it, obviously. And we know that his heart was to the Jew first. Um, So I'm just saying that it just stuck out in my mind. I'm not, there's nothing, no I don't think there's anything deep here other than I want to just let you guys know how I think. <laughs> you know, these things just, you know, just came to my mind. And, you know, then I thought, you know, sometimes I get frustrated with ministry. And then when I think about it, it's usually I'm off in somewhere in my thinking or just hearing from the Lord. So that's just, um, that was a free one. You know, there's no charge for that. All right. So the second thing that the Lord said is he will show how Saul, show Saul how many things he must suffer for his name's sake. And, you know, Paul made a choice to suffer for Jesus. You know, nobody twisted his arm. He wasn't forced. God didn't make him. Paul accepted the suffering along with the Lord. You know, and, and, you know he, had a, he was going to suffer. A, you know, I mean, we know how much he suffered for the sake of the Lord and for the gospel. Um, He knew that from day one. He knew that from day one. And I think that um, sometimes that slips our mind when we get into difficult situations or we feel like we're, um, you know, that suffering comes in our lives. You know, God didn't promise us that we wouldn't suffer, right? So, um, you know, don't, um, but I, I guess, you know what, take the mindset of Paul. Listen to what, what Paul said about it in 2 Timothy 2 and verses 8 through 10. You could jot that down and I'll read it for you. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, 
for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, Paul, you know, he, he knew that, I mean, the suffering wasn't, it wasn't an issue for him. Right? He knew the word of God could never be chained. He knew that the word of God could never be um, subdued or just suppressed. And um, you know what? He didn't care about the rest of it, even to the points of chains, uh, being arrested. And then in Romans eight eighteen, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul didn't have his, his mind or his attention on the suffering. His focus was on, was on the, the glory. His focus was on the Lord. Um, his mind um, was seated in heavenly places, not, um, not on things of the earth. You know, suffering is temporary, but the glory is eternal. And when you keep that in mind, you know what? Things go a lot easier when we go through difficult times. All right, so... As we look back at Paul's conversion, there's, um, we know that there's three things that, re- that are required for conversion. And I want to just go through them as we look at Paul's life. And um, if you're here and you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't accepted Christ into your life, um, you know, maybe this will help your understanding of what it's all about. But this rings true in the conversion of Saul. You know, when Jesus appeared to Saul, personally, the Holy Spirit um, opened his eyes spiritually and closed them physically so that he might see the Lord. So the first required thing is the Holy Spirit has to be at work, right? So we see that in, uh, in Saul's life. And then how about the Word of God? Think about it. That's the second point, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Did Saul know the word of God? Right? I mean, he, the Bible at this point in time is the Old Testament. It's Jewish, right? So I, being a Pharisee, I could safely say Paul knew. He knew the Bible. He knew the word of God, right? So we see that the Holy Spirit is at work. The word of God is involved. And then the third thing is a believer. That makes sense, right? A believer. So, and you guys could answer this question if you want, all right? You could shout it out. So, who is the man that God would use to reach Saul? Who? Ananias? Who? I heard that. John. Did you say Stephen? Amen. All right, Stephen. Say, John, you should sit up in the front. Yes, that's right, Stephen. Saul and Stephen met only once, okay? And that was, on, that was when Saul stood uh, with those who stoned Stephen, right? Acts 7.56 tells us that Stephen had looked up into heaven and said, I see heaven open and Jesus standing there. So if you could picture Saul sitting there looking at Stephen as he gazes into heaven, and, you know, Saul looking up, wondering, you know, what is he looking at? 
And looking back at the face of Stephen, you know, Saul is convinced that he's seeing something. He is convinced just by looking at the face of Stephen that he's seeing, you know, there's something that he's seeing in the heavens. And, you know, I believe that Saul actually prayed that one day the heavens would open and that he too would see a vision of Jesus Christ or God. And you know what? On the road to Damascus, that prayer was answered, right? Because he looked up and saw Jesus, right? When Jesus appeared to him. So that's pretty cool to think that. You know, there's no limitation with God working in our lives. So the application, I believe that God uses a person as an instrument in the conversion of every individual. Even if that person isn't even involved, you know, there when the person um, really gives their heart to the Lord. Like Stephen wasn't there, obviously. So... That's the reason that you and I need to spread our influence for the Lord Jesus Christ at all times. Okay? We have to live out our faith, share the gospel, and as Carl Kirby would say, be bold. Be bold with your faith. There cannot be a real conversion without a man or a woman, a believer, using the word of God directed by the spirit of God. So, verses 17 through 19, we still, Paul's still sitting waiting for Ananias to show up. So in verses 17 through 19, and Ananias went, so he's being obedient, even though he's kind of uncertain about things, but he's trusting the Lord. So Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. What a change, right? He went from, you know, he's still Saul of Tarsus, but now he's brother Saul. <laughs> you know, he's not the enemy more anymore. He's a brother. And we also see that um, he's also filled with the Holy Spirit, right, for service and to be a witness. And um, this is an experience which reveals itself in the life of every believer, okay? Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and saved on the Damascus road, but it wasn't until Ananias came to him and prayed with him that he was filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is um, I just want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we don't talk about it a lot, and seeing we're here and we just read about it, I want to take the remainder of the time that I have, and I will be brief, um, and just to look at um, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit through um, the book of Acts and a couple of the Gospels. So in Luke twenty four forty nine, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then in Acts 1, 
verses 4 through 4 and 5. And, and, you know, this is still Luke, but he kind of phrases it a little different. Jesus speaking. And being assembled together with them, with the disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, three key prepositions, Greek prepositions, that, and if, let me, this is very simplified. This is, if I could understand this, you guys are going to be all set, all right? So as soon as you mention the word Greek, you think, oh boy. But I can even pronounce these Greek words because <laughs> there are only a few letters in them. But. Um, so key, three key prepositions that will help us understand um, a little bit more about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at these three Greek prepositions. In John 14, 17, Jesus promised the disciples that he would send them a comforter, the spirit of truth, who would abide with them forever, um, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So notice that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be dwelling with them or alongside them. So the first Greek preposition is the word para, and that, that's what that means, with or alongside. So at this point in the disciples' life, the Holy Spirit is alongside them. But Jesus goes on to say that the Spirit would be more than with the disciples. He would be in the disciples or dwell in them. And that's the second Greek preposition, and it's en, okay? So... In John 20, verses 22, it says, And when he had, and that's Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So at that point in time, the disciples went from para, the Holy Spirit being alongside them, to en, where the Holy Spirit was in them. Okay, you guys following me so far? Anybody? All right, good. All right, so receiving the Holy Spirit in this instance is comparable to the creative breath of God when he breathed into Adam in Genesis 2-7, when he breathed life into Adam. Okay, that gift, um, <laughs> the gift that we're talking about of the Holy Spirit was, uh, was not a human spirit, but the spirit of the living God. So Jesus breathed into them and they received uh, the Holy Spirit. And prior to conversion, the Holy Spirit, this is, you know, this is the same for us as well. The same two prepositions characterize your own experience. And you know those three requirements that we just talked about, um, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and a believer, um, you know, those um, you know, are the same. That's what happened in our life, right? We know somebody shared the Word with us, and the Holy Spirit brought that conviction, Right? He came alongside us. He brought that conviction. He brought us to that place where we realized that Jesus Christ was our Savior, that we needed a Savior, right? That's, I mean, a big enough hurdle to get past right from the start, right? That somebody actually needs um, a Savior, that they're not good enough just on their own. I mean, so 
It's the Holy Spirit that does that. They come alongside that person and they convict them of their sin. And then the moment that we accept Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit comes into us and dwells with us. So when we're converted, we go from para to in. So that's where um, some Christians' relationship with the Holy Spirit kind of kind of stays there, if you will. Not everybody, um, not everybody has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that's a that's a pretty bold statement, but it's true. But it doesn't mean that you can't be baptized with the Holy Spirit either, right? So there's there's good news. Acts one eight, Jesus said to his disciples, "You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you," and that's the th- the third Greek preposition, and that's um, epi. So it's either epi or epi. I like epi. All right. So, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that epi experience is when the Spirit comes upon you. And that's um, exactly what Jesus told the disciples. You shall receive power, dunamis, right? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the epi empowers the believer for service. It's an outflowing of the Spirit. It's the flowing forth from my life, um, that dynamic, that dunamis power of God's Spirit working through my life and touching those around me. So it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit alongside us, and then it's awesome, right? When the Holy Spirit, we get saved and he dwells in us. But think of you know, just how awesome it is when he starts to work through us. As the Spirit of God just overflows uh, out of our lives. And I was thinking about doing a little um, demonstration, but I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to tell you about it. <laughs> so if I had, said, this bottle, right, and I, if I had a glass here, so this would be the Holy Spirit alongside me, right? When I get saved, if I started to pour if I started, but put tightness. If I started to pour the water into the glass, that would be the en or the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, right? And if I just kept pouring and pouring and filling that glass fuller and fuller, eventually it would overflow, and that's that epi experience when you know we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit just overflows out of our lives. So um, let's you know it'll, you'll be able to see it a little clearer in the life of Peter. So I'm, I'll read a couple of verses out of Acts two. You guys don't have to turn there. So the the disciples were empowered to serve, right? And and notice the difference in Peter. I mean, keep in mind when Jesus was being led to be crucified, these guys were nowhere to be found. I mean, Peter was kind of at a distance, but, you know, he wasn't um, um, overly enthused about being um, um, associated with Jesus, right? When he was confronted those three times, it was like, hey, I don't know the guy. I mean, he got pretty rude at one point when he was denying Christ. But when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and boldly, and I highlighted that, boldly preached the message of Jesus Christ to the people, the Holy Spirit 
brought conviction to their hearts and they cried out in verse 37 of chapter 2, men and brethren, what shall we do? Um, you know, they recognized their sin and what, and what had you know, what had gone on was wrong, and that Jesus was the Messiah. But, you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He had already received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed into him, so he had that EN experience, and they were tarrying, and they were doing exactly what Jesus told them, waiting in Jerusalem till they were endued with power from on high, the promise of the Father. They were waiting, and on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that they began to speak um, with other tongues. And as if you read further into that chapter, um, you know, the people that were in Jerusalem for, were from all over the world. It lists all of the different nationalities. And it says that they heard them speaking in their own language, the wonderful works of God. And, you know, so Peter is like a totally different man now. He's totally different. He's, he's not um, following Jesus in the shadows. He's standing up and he's proclaiming Jesus Christ boldly. Boldly. He's filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. And listen, when they, um, they say, hey, you know, Peter, what, you know, what must we do? And uh, he responds in verse 38, Repent and let, uh, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift Peter was talking about was that epi, that not only that en, the Holy Spirit in us, but that they would receive the Holy Spirit, of, you know, the power of God's Spirit flowing out of them for service. And when you think of um, how the church grew and how the church, I mean, when you read to the end of Acts chapter 2, I mean, they were doing whatever they could to take care of each other. I mean, there was real power in the church. And then you read through like the first three chapters of Acts. I mean, people are getting healed. People are getting saved. I mean, the power of God is just moving, you know, and just working through the lives. It's overflowing through the church. So, very, you know, I mean, it's really some, it's good, exciting reading. I mean, it's better than anything that's on TV, believe me. Um, when you start reading the way the Holy Spirit was working through the church, working through people's lives, just like us. You know, I mean, we, I mean, Peter put his shoes on the same way we do, one at a time, right? Unless they didn't tie, then you could just slip into both of them. But, you know, I mean, you got to, you have to understand that. You have to understand that. Everything that made the people that we read about in the book of Acts and throughout the Bible, what made them stand out, uh, everything that caused them to be that way, you have access to. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're born again. You have the Word of God. You know, what we need now is to just allow the Holy Spirit to just overflow our lives, that we would have that boldness. You know, I, I, I don't know where I found this paragraph, and I apologize for that. But it says, the greatest need in the church today is a renewal of the teaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Only then will you and I be empowered to go into the world as effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. The only hope our nation, for our nation today is spiritual awakening that begins in the church with a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit upon the lives and hearts of the saints of God. Revival starts here with us. Um, John Randall 
at the last pastors conference said that stand, you know, like stand here and put a circle, draw a circle around yourself. And he said that revival starts in that circle. You know, revival starts with us. So it's really, it's, a, it's, um, it's an exciting challenge for the church. You know, because I know that we all um, talk about what's going on in the world and gee, it would be great if this or it'd be, you know, guys, we're, um, we're, the, we're the solution. The word of God is the solution. You know, we need to be more vocal about that. All right. And it, you guys know what I'm saying. Don't, you know, hit people over the head with your Bible. But you know what? When they, when they see you living differently than everybody else, when they see your life reflects your convictions and the things that you're saying, you know, they're, they're going to pay attention to what you're saying and, and they're going to listen to the gospel. All right, so let me confuse you a little bit more about this. And I just want to just quickly talk about what, um, where these accounts are in the book of Acts. And I um, just want to show you that Everything's a little different, so there's no, uh, if you have a question later, there's no cookie-cutter answer to your question. So that I'm going to tell you that before you ask me. <laughs> so, But no, there is no cookie-cutter answer. Let me, um, let me read a few of these things to you. In Acts chapter 2, we talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, these are a variety of experiences of people receiving that epi experience, all right, in the Bible. Acts chapter 2. Um, it describes how God fulfilled his promise uh, to baptize his children in the Holy Spirit. And they're in the upper room. They're, they're praying. They're, they're waiting, just like Jesus told them. It's a day of Pentecost. And it says that um, they were in the upper room, and then there was a, the sound of, a, you know, in the heavens of a mighty rushing wind filled the house. At the same time, you know, tongues of fire appeared and rested upon each one of them, and disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. So, um, you know, they're there, they're praying, they're in the upper room, waiting like Jesus said, and they're, boom, the the day of Pentecost, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 8, a great revival breaks out. The end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is martyred. So the apostles stay in Jerusalem, um, the rest of the disciples are spread out. Philip goes to Samaria. He uh, starts preaching the gospel, and, and uh, people are getting saved. And in verses uh, 14 through 16 of chapter 8, it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen upon, there's that word, epi, has not fallen upon uh, none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they've only been baptized into the E-N, right? They're saved, they have the Spirit in them. But um, the Spirit hadn't fallen upon them yet. And it's interesting that Peter, they called for Peter and John. And if you remember, Jesus told Peter that he had the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? So Peter was going to be the one to unlock the gospel to first the Jews in, in Acts 2, then 
the Samaritans in Acts 8, and then we're going to see in chapter 10 the Gentiles. So Peter is, is present at each one of these um, instances uh, when, the, when the gospel goes from the Jew to Samaria, the Gentiles to uttermost parts of the earth. So, um, you know, that's just a, a little side note for that. Um, although the believers had been baptized in the name of Jesus, they had not yet received the gift or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when Peter and John laid their hands on them and prayed for them, they received the Holy Spirit. So there's no manifestations here. Nobody doesn't say anybody spoke with tongues or anything different. But one thing to notice is that it was subsequent to conversion, just like Acts chapter 2. We're talking about what happened in Acts 9. Acts chapter 10, uh, next chapter that we'd be getting to, um, Peter is up on the roof getting, you know, praying, and, and, you know, he has this vision of this, all of these different animals that are unclean, and God sets up this whole scene for him to end up at Cornelius' house. Cornelius, he, you know, he has a vision, and God tells him to send some men to go get Paul, go get Peter, um, so Peter goes, he gets there, Cornelius has all his friends and family there. Peter starts sharing the gospel, and it says that while Peter was declaring the truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, epi, that same word, on all those or all who were hearing the word, and they began to speak in tongues. So in this case, it appears that the Gentiles' conversion and their filling with the Holy Spirit um, was simultaneous. Same time. So you could see that they're different. They're different. Acts 19. Paul had come to Ephesus. Um, a lot of people there believed through the ministry of Apollos. Um, but something, Paul discerned something's lacking. I mean, you know, these guys, you know, it just seem like something's missing. So in verse 2 of um, Acts 19, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In other words, have you had this subsequent relationship? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they responded, they didn't even hear of, that there was a Holy Spirit. So it says in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 19, And he said to them, And to what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that you should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, epi, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So once again, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is subsequent to conversion, but this time with manifestations, right? They spoke in tongues and prophesied. So notice, guys, and I mentioned this, that no two of these experiences and acts are identical, okay? This reminds us that God is not bound by a certain method or by a particular way of doing things. And that's okay, right? He's God. If he wants to do things in a certain way, he could do them however he wants, right? But they are, um, they were in order. I mean, they're, they're clear. Um, they're not confusing. There's the way these things have happened. The Holy Spirit is um, documented accurately in the Word. It's not confusing, right? So um, you know God can act the way He wants, and I don't mean that like you know, 
I mean that in a good way, in in a respectful way. All right. Sometimes, you know, people get a little bit of a problem with that. Like, oh, God is mean or God, you know, he's always got to have his way. And but, you know, I'm not Christian people. I'm talking, you know, did you ever talk to somebody sharing the gospel and they like have that kind of attitude? Why has God always got to be right? Why do we have to do it that way? Well, because that's the way God wants to do it. I mean, I guess you got to take it up with him. <laughs> so I, I have a suggestion and we're going to close. Um you know, there's no pat answer to, um, you know, if you're sitting here and, and you don't know if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, in, um, in Luke eleven thirteen it says, you know, if then being evil, talking about a natural dad, to know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, when, in these instances, when, there was a, a when it was brought to light that you know that, that these folks hadn't received the Holy Spirit in the manifestation like that, that they prayed for them, they prayed for them and they received it, um, you know. And I'm saying um, that could happen today if that's how you, you know if that's where you're at. You're not sure. We could pray, um, you know. In Acts two, they were just praying in the presence of God and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I wish I could say that if you did A, B, C, and D, then this would happen. But, you know, my suggestion would be is to be sensitive, seek the Lord, stay open to whatever or however God wants to work in your life. Um, You know, don't look for a certain sensation or a reaction or a response. And, you know, I know there's groups out there that say if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's all kinds of different thoughts out there. But we just went through these accounts in the book of Acts, and they seem, you know, pretty well, they're, they're just understandable. I mean, this, these things happened, and they were filled. Um, you know, Luke, once again, you know, ask God to fill you if you don't feel that you are. But, you know, be open. Don't put God in the box. Don't think that God can only act a certain way. And I think that's why that there are so many different ways that, People receive the Holy Spirit that we just read because, you know, we can't limit God or put a pattern in anything that, um, you know, God's doing. And I want to just leave you with that same thought that I started with, okay? And I want to make sure that I preface this You know, God God wants to be, God wants to invade our life, right? God wants to fill our lives to overflow, and he wants, um, he wants to give us um, as, as much as we can handle, right? As much as we're willing uh, to take, I guess. You know, I, I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough. But, you know, it's a heart issue. It's an it's a attitude of the heart. And it's the, that, that, part of that prayer that I read start, you know, to start. And this is the key to receiving anything from God, okay? When the only thing we want to hear is his word. The only thing we want to, you know, the only person that we want to hear from, I mean, is him. And everything else just needs to, you know, kind of fall by the wayside. You know, I mean, our heart needs to long for the Lord, you know, that's why that these words really, really motivate me. 
You know, God, I only want to hear your voice. You know, Aubrey prayed something at the end of worship that stuck out in my mind when she was talking about all of the different noises, the different things distracting us, going on in our head. You know what? When we get to the place when, God, I only want to hear your voice, you're in a good place. You know, when you're saying that from your heart, you're in a good place. I'm hanging on every word. You know, when you're reading the, when you're reading the Bible in the morning, whenever you read it evening, well, I hope you read it a lot. But when you're reading it, are you reading it to get through your reading for the day? Or are you hanging on every word that God is saying to you? Because you know what? God speaks to us through his word. You know, maybe we've trivialized the fact that we have a Bible and we can read it. I don't know. But you know what? We should be reading the Bible and hanging on every word that God is saying. Even if it's numbering the tribes in the Old Testament or whatever. But it's still the word of God. It's still the word of God. So, God, I only want to hear your voice. I'm hanging on every word, Lord. Not just some of the things that get me excited or, you know, the promises. No, I'm hanging on every word. The fact that you've called me to suffer for your sake. That's, that's a hard one to hang on to, but we know it's true. Okay? Because when you speak, when God speaks, God, when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes me. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be changed. I want to be changed. You know what? By the end of the day, I hope I'm changed a little bit more. You know, and tomorrow morning when I wake up and start the day, I hope I'm changed a little bit more. You know, it's just an ongoing process, right? I mean, we're all up for change, right? You know, God, continue to change me. Continue to shape me and mold me into the image of your son. I, you know, I don't gotta, I've had enough of me. <laughs> you know, I've, 66 years of me is a lot. You know, I just want more of Jesus in my life. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Christ. And you know what? That should be where all of our hearts are at. You know, and when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, overflowing, if, you, if this is your attitude, it's almost impossible for you not to be filled with the Holy Spirit in that way. When God is everything to you, when the word of God, when you're hanging on everything that God is saying and speaking into your life, he's changing us. He's changing us. And you know what? He changes what we see. And when he does that, you know what? It automatically changes what we seek. You know, I'm not seeking things that I used to seek. And hopefully tomorrow I'm going to wake up and seek better things, right? You know, when God changes us, he changes everything about us. And, you know, he, when he changes, he changes what we see and he changes what we seek. You know, my prayer for you guys is that, you know, you would get to this place. You know, and, you know, you're, and it's not like, oh, I'm here. You know, I, you know, it's something, it's a heart, it's a heart, it's an attitude of the heart that just has to be, it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. You know, just wanting more of God in your life. Wanting to be more of a light for the Lord. Um, Man, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you know what? God wants to do it too. So cooperate with what God wants to do and things are going to really change. Now, as far as um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, you know, some of the stuff we talked about, this book, They Found the Secret, 
is an awesome book. It's um, it's twenty transformed lives um, for people in history. Oswald Chambers, Amy Carmichael, John Bunyan, Dave Barbero. Oh no, <laughs> no, no, I'm not in there. But no, these guys how the how the, how the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed their life and their ministry. Uh, there's. There's three of these in the bookstore. Um, we can order more if you're interested and you don't get one. But um, and one last thing, you know, I, I had already talked to Pastor Rob and he's praying about it. Um, you know, we would love to do like a Saturday, um, like we did the New Believers class, but do like an eight-week or ten-week um, class on the Holy Spirit. You just, you know, to get right into it and just spend some time you know, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So keep that in prayer. Um, you know, we'll talk more when Pastor Rob gets back. But it would be nice to have all you guys sign up and take the class. It would be great. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that you um, you saved us the way you found us, but God, you refused to leave us that way. And we're so thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, that um, that we would cooperate um, with those things that you're um, trying to do in our lives. And, um, you know, something that, you know, Ananias' response to you, Lord, when you called you called him, he said, here I am. And I pray, God, that, that that would be our heart. Here here we are, God, here we are. Speak to us, use us. Uh, Lord, um, just continue to do that work in our lives, God. I know that, um, well, I'm hoping everybody in this place, Lord, has a relationship with you. And if there's anyone that doesn't, I pray that, um, God, that you would just work in their hearts, that they wouldn't leave here um, without um, getting their life right with you, uh, Lord. So we, uh, we praise you and thank you for filling us to overflowing with your spirit, for using us, that we would be lights for you, Lord. So be with us the rest of the day. Uh, continue to have your hand on Pastor Rob and the saints in Israel. And uh, God, we just thank you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.